Welcome to China Tech Talk, a weekly discussion of technology and startups in China. I am John Artman, editor in chief at TechNote, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Brennan, founder of China. Channel and so this week we are、um, giving you the third part of a three-part series about、um, uh, internet celebrities here in China,、uh, influencers, KOLs,、um, Wang Hong, whatever you want to call them.、Um, and so this week we talked with、um, Elijah Whaley, who's actually a、um, he is the chief marketing officer at at、uh, Park Lu. Um, and so this episode, so the previous few episodes, like we're kind of looking at from an analyst point of view, and then our last episode, we looked at it from the perspective of someone who actually is a KOL. Uh, and who actually has experience、um, doing、um, a lot of this marketing, a lot of this content creation, and then this week we talked with Elijah, who is really kind of able to give us、um, almost like the the view from the back end, because Elijah is、um, his job is marketing, digital marketing, and video, and then his girlfriend actually is、um, has become. Um, a makeup influencer, and so we talk a lot about the, a little bit more about the business as as well as some of the some of the bigger trends when it comes to、um, when it comes to internet celebrities in China. Yeah, so I think we've got three very different viewpoints.、Uh, they've all got distinct voices, and they're all experts in their own right. You know, having someone from Tencent, having、uh, you know someone who's actually <laughs> you know literally、uh, become famous. Uh, in China, and then someone who's from the marketing aspect, and that really has a a lot to say. I mean, Eli is fantastic.、Um, you know, I remember meeting him, and we had a long conversation in in Paris when we were both talking at this at this、uh, event there. And he really has such a deep knowledge of this area and such forward thinking theories.、Uh, so I'm really excited to have him on uh, uh, today. And、um, But this whole idea of having sort of three episodes that cover、um, the same area, the same topic, the same phenomenon from different aspects with different viewpoints and different voices、um, is something that we we hope to do a lot more of、uh, in the future.、Uh, we kind of did it with bike sharing as well, right? We we had、um, bike sharing where we 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 had、um, Mobike was on and we covered it before、uh, ourselves、so、because a lot of these topics in China, I think. For our audience,、um, you know, we accept that a lot of people outside China. We want to give an episode that covers the basics, covers a lot of the,、uh, you know, sort of broad,、uh, broad area of what's going on, and then we want to go a bit deeper, and we want to get experts in who can talk about it from different angles, because this, you know, that's the advantage I think of 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 what we're trying to do here with China Tech Talk is that we're trying to cover topics from the Chinese internet, China technology in in a in a in a way. In a deeper way than is covered usually in global media, because mo- both me and John have talked about this. I think we talked about this on the on the very very first podcast. Is that we both feel that you know a lot of the coverage、uh, globally is、um, is 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 not doing justice to to what's going on here. And there's there's a there's a much much deeper narrative and a lot more interesting stuff going on here than most people realize. Exactly, and and the thing is, a, the, the, a podcast is the best is one of the best formats to、uh, to get a lot of these、uh, discussions and ideas、uh, ideas out there.、Um, and so, you know, this is this is you know kind of like the first time we're we're formally trying to do、uh, a bit of a series. Matt and I have talked、uh, quite a bit about other topics that we can do this about,、um, and I think that、um, you know. 
for us at least, we find it very interesting to do these types of things. But we want to hear from you. We want to know what what do you think of having uh, you know a series of episodes about the same topic from from different perspectives. And you know what do you what do you think of the show? Are are we are we doing a good job? Do you, do you like it? Uh, and if you and if there are some parts that you don't like, you know, let us let us know because actually it's the uh, it's the negative uh, feedback um, the the criticism that actually helps us um, to improve the the best. So either do that um, in iTunes or um, you can just reach out to us uh, on LinkedIn or or Twitter. Uh, both of our profiles are in um, the show notes. Um, but so enough of Matt and I um, talking. Uh, now we give you. Elijah Whaley, Chief Marketing Officer of Park Lou. Eli, thank you so much for for joining us uh, on on the show today uh, to talk a little bit more about um, live streaming and key opinion leaders from the perspective of uh, a marketing uh, a marketer and a marketing agency. Excellent. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. And we're really excited to talk to you about it as well. Um, but before we kind of get into the meat of things, you know, tell us about, you know, who you are, what you do, and, and how you got to where you are right now. Okay. Um, I think, I don't, you know, as most expats in China, maybe it's not a very direct path. Um, but I'm originally from the American Midwest, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, Warren Buffett territory. And uh, I at a young age started producing um, video content and have been in the video world for a long time. Um, I originally came out to China as part of my university studies Um, and it was just a language exchange type program for a year out uh, back in 2011. And then I was invited back out um, to join kind of a startup in 2013 and I've been in the startup scene ever since then um, here in Beijing. And early on, back in 2014, early 2014, I was with a advertising, travel advertising startup. And we were working with Weibo KOLs a lot. And so that was my first introduction to, um, to this industry and to this kind of revolutionary um, form of uh, gaining attention and communicating with an audience. Oh, cool. So, so tell us a little bit more about about what what you're doing right now. What I'm doing right now. Uh, so, what I'm doing at that um, actually after working with the um, advertising um, agency for a while, um, I met a very beautiful, very talented young lady um, named uh, Maggie, and. She, I recognized in her that she had a very interesting talent, um, which was being a makeup artist. And she also had a very interesting personality. And I asked her at that time when we just before, just after we started dating, um, what she really wanted, you know, career wise um, for herself. And she said she'd really like to start a label. At that time, I had started, I had been reading a book called Content Inc. by Joe Polizzi. And the theory that he posed in there is that brands should build marketing channels first and that they should um, do that through content and that they should offer value and build trust and really understand 
a, a vertical audience that they communicate with so that they can then create and sell products that people actually want to buy and they're already primed by and you already know what the ROI is once you deliver that. Um, so I proposed, took that kind of theory and I proposed to my girlfriend that we should turn her into a, um, a makeup influencer and we could do that through creating video tutorials and I know how to shoot and produce and <clears throat> she knows how to do makeup really well and we just need to figure out some of the kinks of um, how to make her personality shine and also how to you know, break through the, the noise online and through social media. And we have been doing that for two years and that has been going quite well. Um, we really hit our stride in the second year and we've worked with some really, really top brands, anyone from Nike to H&M to um, Maybelline and Chanel and um, Maggie now <clears throat> travels to different locations to do live events. Um, she was part of the Meitu Shoji um, launch that had 300 plus KOLs at that event. Uh, she was just down in Shanghai last week for a new uh, makeup brand that's launching called Pop Kit uh, with a company called We Media. Um, we do. She has a regular live streaming show on Maypie on Tuesday nights at eight and. I'm kind of, we've kind of designed it a little bit like a uh, regular talk show where I like sit behind her and I like eat food and just make kind of comments about what's going on and answer some of the fans' questions. Um, <clears throat> and so she's been doing really well. Um, and so the cool part for me is while that's all been going on, I've been a more classical um, digital marketer and, uh, and brand marketer working with startups and I just recently, last month, uh, was invited to join Park Lu, and Park Lu is a uh, influencer, KOL, uh, search, uh, communication, payment, tracking, and analytics um, KOL platform, software as a service, and they, we saw some really nice strategic alignment there. That hey, this is a startup, and I'm a startup guy. I'm a marketing guy, and also I've been really keyed into this whole influencer marketing thing for a while, um, not only working with them in the past, but also building one myself. And so it was a very nice strategic alignment. And so I'm <clears throat> personally, I'm very excited to be at this place where I kind of feel like a full circle um, influencer marketing guy that has very nice understanding on all sides about how a brand can leverage a KOL and how a KOL can leverage their attention. And I see it as one of the uh, big drivers and change on how everything from businesses will be built to how businesses communicate with people and sell products. And I consider it to be a very, very relevant um, topic now and, and in the future. So, um, so looking at, at at Park Lu specifically, just 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 uh, briefly, I'm, I'm curious. So, are you guys more of like a uh, like a Wang Hong agency where you're connecting brands with these KOLs, or are you more like like a marketplace? No, we're more of a marketplace. Um, we're a curated marketplace. So <clears throat> we're not like um, some of the other marketplaces out there that just analyze and try and track data on here's everybody out there on all the platforms and you can kind of search and try and pick. Um, we've used data to curate 
an invite or is this an invite only platform? So I think at this point, we actually have about 3,000 um, KOLs on our uh, search discovery engine, and they mainly fall into the fashion, beauty, travel, <clears throat> mommy, baby, parenting, lifestyle um, verticals. And the and so we really focus on that. And it is it is software. It is log into the system, search and find, um, create your one of the problems with this industry is there's no um, and I deal with this all the time on the uh, Millennium Foo side is there's no standard operating procedure for how brands execute on campaigns. And so we standardize that procedure for both parties and allow them to communicate through this and to run campaigns much, much more effectively and much quicker and providing that maximum value um, through there. And then the tracking and analytics part of it is also very important. Um, and we do this through our website and through our app. And it is what's what's really cool too is because we we're not an agency, but we also do maintain a very strong relationship with our KOLs and we're very active and they're very active with us. And we do community training where we actually invite them to come to do training sessions. We'll be hopefully doing one here in Beijing soon. And so we're really, we're very committed, but it is, it is software. Uh, we do have some services that we provide, but um, that is one of the things that um, we're, we're not an agency. Okay, got it. So Eli, you know, the last two episodes, we've been discussing this area in different ways. So I think the listeners have got an idea that, okay, live stream and KOLs in China have blown up. They're huge. They're making lots of money themselves, right? Through tipping, uh, through gifting. Um, you know, the apps are, are, are monetizing this in different ways. But what we want to talk today about is from a brand perspective, okay, I'm a business, I'm, 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 uh, I'm a brand, a makeup brand, for example. How do I fit into this whole thing? How do I insert myself typically into this environment? How are brands looking at what's happening? Well, I think that there's a couple of, the story is, is really interesting to me and, and not to not to get away from the question, but I would like to focus real quick on something. The idea that the influencers have the attention. They're the ones that people are going to for information and resources on what they should buy and what they should be, you know, what's hot and what's not. And some of these influencers are smart enough and are using that to create their own brands. And right now on Taobao, of the top 50 stores on Taobao, 23 of them are actually run by KOLs. And KOLs are actually building multi, multi-million dollar businesses that are really, they are, and they are going to compete with major brands and labels. And the, the brands have to figure this out. If they don't do this, what I, I kind of put it in the very you know, strong statement of, if you don't work with a KOL, you're going to be replaced by one. And the reason why is because they have the attention. Um, mm. There is, in China, there's not the advertising tools and, and the closed ecosystems of WeChat and how, and the user behaviors don't allow advertising to work very well here, traditional advertising. And because brands are... I think some of it has to do with Chinese, with culture. Um, brands are not people and, and, and can be trusted the same way. 
And they've also haven't made the investment into moving beyond selling people something to actually being involved in their lives and helping them where KOLs mm. have. They've mm. figured out how to actually leverage and really be valuable on social media. And because brands haven't, now they have to work with KOLs because they because the ship has sailed. Um, there's a few brands out there that are doing some really cool stuff. I think Maybelline, um, they have, they're one of the most interesting brands that I've worked with. And I think they're one of the best ones out there that are leveraging um, influencers. They do a regular live streaming show. Um, I don't know exactly how regular it is, but they do a regular live streaming show um, across all the platforms. You know, they have these big trees of cameras or multiple people operating cameras or the phones. And they invite KOLs to come and be on their Maybelline show. And so those KOLs then bring their audiences to that platform or to that show. And then that audience is able to say, hey, look, actually Maybelline is, is offering a lot of value here and, and they're bringing in other stuff and they're doing something very different and interesting. Where and, and that's a really, really wonderful, really beautifully executed strategy and idea that you would start to actually really offer people value and not just gate content blocking, you know, what people actually want to see with your brand message or trying to maybe sneakily embed yourself. You know, sometimes I, I get a little bit critical where I'm kind of like, well, you're being you're being a leech a little bit in this environment. Instead of actually really, really offering people value, you're still looking at it in a very traditional sense of saying, well, I'm just, because I don't get the attention, I'm just gonna buy it and just smash myself into this message somehow. And I think that's also one of the reasons why we'll see at times brands fail with KOL marketing is because they still don't get it. They're still operating on a very old traditional marketing model of gating or blocking or trying to be exclusive instead of trying to be involved in people's lives. Mm, yeah, I think it's a completely sort of new paradigm for a lot of people to get their heads around, right? Oh yeah, it's super tough, super tough. It's it's very unnatural to say the least. Okay, how do, how does a, how does this um how does a typical KOL campaign work, Eli, for 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 a brand? Uh, typical KOL for for a brand, um, they yeah. need to start with you know what what is the product that they that they have that they're trying to promote. Who's the target audience for that? And that's really that's really important is really understanding who is meant or who should or who would actually want to buy this. Um, and I think that's <clears throat> one of the things that brands could be doing differently and they could be doing much better is actually first communicating with um, experts or with KOLs themselves and saying, would your audience want to buy this? <laughs> Instead of just saying, I want your audience to buy this. We have moved away from forcing people down people, stuff down people's throats to there's the same level of consumerism, but people have a preference and they have lots of options. So you should be a part of offering people what they actually want. And so they should be communicating with a KOL saying, does your audience want this? And then they move into a negotiation um, point with a KOL saying, um, okay, we would like 
to promote this thing? How do you think this should be promoted? Sometimes brands take a little bit more control and say we want it promoted in a in a certain way, and um, that's where you'll see some conflict comes comes up is when a brand wants control and and the KOL wants to serve their audience. And if the brand's control or demands are in conflict with what the KOL believes is best for serving their audience, then you'll have deterioration in the communication or in the ability to execute the, prop, the, uh, the strategy or the uh, campaign properly. So there needs that first level of finding and then communicating the strategy and working with the KOL can be can be tough. It, it really can be tough. Well, one, um, of the, because... one, of the, one of the questions that I have about this is um, kind of um, like matching like the brand image with the KOL image. Sure. So how like can you give us a little bit of insight into into how that that actually works? And so, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, trying to determine if the product uh, matches what the audience wants. Does that how does that play into it? Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, for brand, you know, especially, especially for typical big brands, like that's a huge um, concern for them is does this KOL line up with um, our brand image and what we want to project and what how we want people to feel about us? And I think um, that's also where a lot of hesitation comes from, from brands when working in this in the sphere. Um and to be honest, my real, real opinion is brands need to let go uh, a little bit and they need to loosen up and they need to realize that people are going to talk about your brand however they want to anyways. I mean, welcome, welcome to the Internet. So if you really want to be a part of the story, then you need to facilitate that's what people are talking about in a more organic, natural way, because we, you know, we run into um issues all the time of brands saying that the it has you know the content needs to contain 70 80 percent my content and my name and my pictures when the KOL saying that's not what people want we you know we want your brand to be a part of the story but it can't be 80 percent of the content it needs to be natural and needs to be organic and it needs to be something that people want to engage with and I also see that um, brands, we just, I just did this tip this was kind of typical, but a recent one where the brand was really strict about, I want the images and the pictures and things, how they're laid out to be like this. And I want it to match all of our other branding, which all of their other branding was created by some really high level agency. And I am starting to believe that these high level agencies, they're, they're, they're not getting it. They're, they're missing the point. Their, their need to be at such a high level of production to make C-level guys happy is, is not natural. It's not what people really want. People want to see a picture taken on a, a cell phone and not on a $1,200 DSLR <laughs> with a raw format and perfect lighting. Like, that's not real. That's well, not how this product actually is interacted with in real life. Well, Eli, so I'm, I'm curious. I mean, so, I mean, it, a lot of, a lot of um, it seems like this insecurity comes from, like, how, how they're, 
used to running these types, running ad campaigns. Correct. And so I'm curious, is there is there a relationship between like the amount of control that some brands demand versus like how much they're spending? I mean, like, dude, I mean, like, are they demanding control because they're also spending a lot of money on these uh, KOL campaigns? Uh, yes, I'm sure that there is. I mean, it's, I think, yes, there is probably that logic in there. I mean, everybody, what they, in the end, what matters to people, obviously, is that they sell stuff, is that ROI factor. Um, but one of the things that I think a lot of brands and a lot of people who think about KOL marketing at a very baseline thing is they really see it. They're, they're not thinking about it properly in, in my mind. They're looking at it just like they would an ad. And that means that I'm paying for X number of people to see this thing at this one point. And so you have this message in the center, imagine a circle, and there's this one little circle around that that are the people that viewed it. And that's what I'm paying for. But what they're actually missing is the entire story of actually what you're paying for is one, you're paying for someone who has built a very close relationship with people. Really, really close. I mean, these, I mean, we know that these KOLs get messages from some of their followers when they have a, you know, when they break up or have a baby or, you know, they've improved their life in some drastic way and, and really actually changed things for them. There's an actual relationship that you are being a part of. Then another aspect is you're not just paying for eyes, you're paying for content creation. If you go to an agency or you go to a creative or a photographer, a videographer, a writer, you're going to pay that guy or that person or that agency to create that thing. That's really freaking expensive, super expensive. Now, you're getting this creation process as part of the package, and but a lot of people aren't even putting that into the whole mathematics of the of KOL marketing. They're missing mm. out on a huge point of the value of working with a KOL. They're content creators too. They're not just an audience. And then on the on the back side of it is it is not this first layer of of attention that you're that you're paying for. It's not the number of views that you're seeing. It's not just 100,000 views and you know a thousand or you know a hundred comments and, and 50 reposts and, and whatever many likes, you don't understand that you're actually influencing culture and the spread of a message because that's what a KOL does. That's what an influencer does is they, they have the influence to impact people and change the direction of thinking. And so not only, and I, I like to call it like, there's a KOL trickle down economics. And the idea that when if you get a really big KOL, other KOLs are going to talk about their stuff. Other influencers mm. are. People are also going to share that to their circle of influence. There's this whole trickle-down effect that unfortunately cannot really be measured through the traditional um, devices that people use, you know, through trackable links or through... Um, the whatever other metrics that people are trying to use to say this is or isn't working. And mm. there's this whole backside of the story that these brands are really, really not understanding the real power 
of what it means to work with an influencer. Yeah, that thing you said about the uh, the content being too polished and too professional, that really resonates with me. Um, I just I think in so many ways, actually, on the internet and on the Chinese internet, that people don't want something that's too polished. Often the stuff that does really, really well and is really popular is stuff that people can relate to. If we look at examples, you know, within the app economy, um, there's there's an app called Quai or Quai Show in English mm-hmm. that's yeah. doing really, really well. I think it's like the top video app in terms yeah. of the activity. And it's just full of videos of people doing very <laughs> stupid things like eating strange stuff or just dancing. And these are very, you know, rural, lower tier city people um, doing stuff that a lot of people in Beijing and Shanghai think is very unsophisticated and quite frankly boring, but and and it but it is is very real to a lot of people. Correct. Um, Correct. If we look at stickers, for example, on WeChat, you know the the stickers that Chinese people love sending are often not these really really nice animated professional Disney stickers, for example. Correct. They're the ones that are just really crappily drawn. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. look awful, and um, they've got like these stupid faces on them. They look like they've been drawn by a three year old. Um, yep but they, they, they somehow resonate and they're Correct. real to people. Correct. So um, Correct. I think that's the, we can see that, that, that concept across so much of the Chinese internet. Yep, absolutely. Well, Matt, I think that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, also because I think half the time, especially as foreigners and expats, we end up focusing on like t- what we can see, which is like tier one, uh, maybe tier two cities where they are going to be more, people are going to be more affluent. They are going to have, you know, quote unquote, more class. Um, but really, I mean, the, the real consumption power in a lot of ways that has in some ways has yet to really be unlocked is going to be in tier three, tier four, you know, cities and even going down to, as you said, rural and, um, and, and villages and, and, and things like that. And so I think that it's, it's really important for, um, listeners inside of China and outside of China to remember that, you know, China is not Beijing. China is not (laughs) Shanghai. It is not Shenzhen. It is a lot more than that. And so if, you're, mm-hmm. if your only experiences are of those three cities, for example, or maybe, you know, Hangzhou or Suzhou or somewhere on the East Coast, you know, you're not really seeing the, the way that, that, that people, most people actually live. Correct. Well, and even, even in the first tier and second tier cities, though, look, I mean, for yourselves, I think you could probably measure this, but look at what is really popular. Even the Poppy Jongs and the and the other KOLs, the, the level mm. of production that is being distributed and, and that people are enjoying is shockingly, shockingly low. I mean, yeah. Poppy Jong herself, she looks like she's, you know, she's literally just in an apartment, not even in a nice apartment. And they're not doing special effects. I mean, this the spe- you know what her special effect is? Is speeding up the video so that her voice is really high. Like, I mean, it, it can't get any more like simple than that. And the backgrounds aren't special. When you look at what these, even some of the top tier um, producers of tutorials are making and the comedians high and low, um, that this is not, this is not TV film quality stuff. This is, I mean, this is really basic, basic, you know, shot a lot of times shot on a cell phone, maybe didn't even, I don't know that for sure, but it might not have ever even seen a linear editing 
you know, program. I mean, there's, they, there's a lot of stuff that is being produced going directly from a phone to the internet. And even for myself, what's so funny is we will shoot in, in the case of Millillium in the, we'll shoot in raw for the client so we can send that off to them. And then Maggie will take those photos, import them into her phone, use her phone as the image editing tool, and then send that out. And so it's actually taking something that's so nice and kind of like dumbing it down. But that's because that's what works. Sure. I think that's not just China as well. When you look at the uh, you know, Snapchat and apps that are blowing up in the States, uh, music, music lie. Uh, um, you know, the, the editing tools there are, you know, really, really basic and it's democratizing the whole process of content creation so that, you know, anyone can become, um, you know, a content producer and a KOO in their own right. The barrier to entry is, is just getting lower and lower as the tools on your phone become better and better. And anyway, that's not really what people want, right? They, 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 people actually just want stuff that's, you know, resonates. They don't want high value uh, you know, production and, and lots of um, special effects and filters. Correct. One, and the reality is, and this is one of the reasons why this is like an undeniable truth, this whole like KOL thing, and why I think it's only going to get, not worse for brands, but this is just the beginning, is the idea that you just said it there, the democratization of of content. And really <clears throat> what that means to me is, I want to know about a very, very niche topic. And there's only, you know, X number of people in my community or in the world that want to know about that. And there's gonna be one guy or a couple of people that are known as the expert and that are willing to put in the time to create something to educate or entertain me in some way. And mm. brands don't have, there wouldn't be positive ROI for them to create that thing for that small niche. They need, they need that content creator. They need that expert. They need that person to do that and to be involved with that and to manage that community and then pay to be a part of that community. Because if they did it themselves, they would have to have just as many numbers of content creators in all of these specific little teeny niches creating content. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. And so this is not this is very, very natural. This is very organic. It's not going away. It's only going to get worse or better. And what that means for users is it means that, hey, if I'm interested in bobbleheads from 1984, then I can go and watch the bobblehead guy's video and learn about bobbleheads. And that was really good for me. And I'm really interested in bobbleheads now. And I can just focus on that little niche there. Well, I, as a brand that might want to reach the bobblehead audience, I'm probably not going to focus on that little teeny thing, but that audience is still valuable because it's attention. You're paying for that attention. And it's, it is this democratization of how content's made. It's the democratization of interests and categories of interest. And 
people really just getting to consume what they actually really want to consume. Yeah, and I think there's 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 a lot of really interesting points to be made there. Um, but I mean, I think that 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 just to highlight a few a few things. I mean, the attention economy, I think, is kind of what what we're really getting at here when we're talking about influencers and and, and KOLs. Where, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, like TechNode, for example, we're we're we follow kind of a a typical publishing model in a sense where we're we're pushing out content every single day um and and we want it to be valuable to our readers um not 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 in the sense that we're trying to sell something but valuable like there's an intrinsic value to it but the thing is at the end of the day we're still we're still competing with you know live streamers we're still competing with uh mobile video games mmos or or what have you we're still competing with you know um you know walk the chat for example for for eyeballs who do great content about about wechat we're competing you know we're competing with matt <laughs> in a way as well with china channel and his great content um because what we're doing is we're competing for attention you know like our our competitors aren't just other news sites or other china focused news sites our competitors are pretty much everyone well, I mean, you're absolutely right. And that's why the best brands in the world have become media companies. I mean, the best the best example of the best attention-gaining brand in the world, I think right now, is Red Bull. They have been able to their their Red Bull media has become more valuable than Red Bull itself. The offline events, the entertainment, the 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 stuff that they do is so big that Red Bull, yes, the brand is an energy drink, mm. gets to stay relevant and gets to be on people's minds. And yeah, when you're going to drink an energy drink, you think of Red Bull first. Of course you do, because they're doing because they're always top of mind. But becoming a media company and really understanding attention is what is going to make brands be able to exist in the future. And those that can't become media companies or don't understand that or can't leverage it or their audiences are too dispersed or too fragmented, KOLs and micro-KOLs and this whole attention economy like you're talking about, that's where this becomes really, really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, so I wanted to take a, take a quick uh, step back for a second because we're kind of, we're, we're, we're talking about a lot of uh, really interesting things. But, I, but you know, so we talked um, a little bit with Lauren for the, for the last episode about the experience of being a KOL. And so mm-hmm. she talked a little bit about, you know, what, what she did, how she did it, and, and some of her experiences. Um, but one of the things that, um, that I wanted to ask about was KOL agencies. So, you know, because like for you guys, you know, you're you're more you're more of a marketplace, and so um, less of a less of a middleman, for example. But I think one of the one of the things that a lot of people don't see um, uh, of any KOL in China is is that they're that more than likely they're not actually you know self employed. Um, more than likely, they are working through an agency uh, with a brand and 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 with with a platform. So. Um, so I mean, like from from your perspective, I mean, like are are they, are they a good thing? Are they helpful helpful for the ecosystem? The ones that do it right probably are. <laughs> um, you know, it's right now, but there's this whole industry. It, it really still is is in an infancy stage. I think China's much more. I think that's actually something we will talk about. But I think China's much more advanced than the rest of the world when it comes to this. Um, and there needs to be there needs to be some amount of expertise 
um, to be able to do this. And what I mean by that is when people are so unfamiliar, marketers and brands are with working with KOLs that they potentially need someone to hold their hand. And um, what we'll see at Park Lou, which is interesting, is after someone maybe has felt comfortable or, or is dissatisfied with their um, their agency, they might come and then say, okay, I'm ready to just do this on my own because I get it. Or agencies actually do use our platform um, because of the curated nature of it and the ease of conducting business. Um, and I think the KOLs too, a lot of these KOLs, they're, they're creatives or they're specialized in some other field, whether it be design or they're a mom or um, uh, some other aspect. And so they're not, they're not familiar with working with brands to conduct a marketing campaign. I mean, that's definitely a totally foreign process. I can't believe how many KOLs I talk to and I say, hey, do you have like a media kit or a website or a pitch deck or something that talks about yourself so that we can figure out how to work with you or how brand works with you or something? And I tell you what, I bet you it's 95% have nothing like that. And so they don't even have a way of communicating with a brand on a baseline. And the next step beyond just communicating who you are and the value that you can provide is, okay, what's the procedure to getting from I, you as a brand have a product that you want me to talk about and I'm going to do that and then you're going to pay me for it. <laughs> like without having someone either hold the hand through the process or having a standardized procedure and a standardized format, then of course it's going to not be scalable. And I think that's really what it comes down to for brands is, okay, yeah, this influencer marketing or KOL marketing thing sounds really interesting and I know I need to do it because they have all the attention and I can't buy it except this way, but how can I scale it? Because is this going to require me to have you know one manager to manage one KOL and it's like a one-on-one type situation, that that's not going to work. Um, especially the larger you are and the more impact that you want to have, that's not going to work. Okay, so, so, um, so all right, sorry, uh, Eli, sorry. So that's, that's, that's all the upside. But, I yep. mean, the thing is, the thing is we're dealing with, with, uh, with a potential, with basically at least last year, and I think from what I understand this year, it's, it's plateauing a little bit. But, you know, it's, it's live streaming, and especially with, with KOLs, it's become a bit of a gold rush. And yep. um, in China, when there's a gold rush, like everyone just jumps right into it, not really <laughs> yep. too concerned about the ethics of of how they're they're being successful. Sure. And so, sure. you know, you just talked a little bit about the upside, but what about what about the downsides? I think the downsides. There's a lot of potential downsides. Um, we know that there are lots of agencies out there that are managing their own. Um, KOLs are building their own KOLs and they are not building them ethically. Um, they're either totally fake bot-driven accounts um, mm. or they're a consortium of bot-driven accounts that are literally, you know, like, you. and you can do this, you can create hundreds of accounts that repost and watch and, and create and, you know, and um, look at each other's content and redistribute content and such. And you can make, that's one of the problems and one of the scary things for brands is you can make 
a KOL, you can totally fabricate it and make it look pretty legit. And that's scary. That is literally, literally burning cash. And I totally, totally get it. I mean, um, and so there are, there are people that are not scrupulous. There are KOLs that are very genuine and very real that also use um, techniques for, for making content look uh, like it has a lot more um, interest and attention than it really has. I mean, Taobao, there's a whole economy. There is an entire economy, not just mm. in China, but around the world on based on bot traffic. And, and it used to be used for click-throughs on websites and ad revenue and all sorts of things like that and, and app you know, reviews and whatever else. And it has definitely come in and <clears throat> to the KOL economy and it can be scary. It can be really scary. It can, it can be a total waste of time and money. Um, and that is totally driven by people that realize, <clears throat> hey, here's an opportunity to make a quick buck. Yeah, I think there's a there's a really great video that you put in one of your we uh, you run a WeChat group, uh, Eli, that's about yeah. KOLs, obviously. Um, and there was a video in there that was pretty much showing behind the scenes around what looked to be to describe it a KOL farm. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if that's yep. a phrase, I don't know, but it's literally a a rather large um, <clears throat> house, uh, sort of apartment block that's just full of women, young women who are, you know, each have their own little room and they're each live streaming constantly all day mm-hmm. and they're being managed by this agency. Oh gosh, and that it's, is... it's, it's like, uh, it's almost like chickens in a, in a, in a chicken farm, you know, like they're, they're all in their own little pens, uh, like, but they're all live streaming and they're all like, uh, influencers on Chinese social media. Well, um, there's there's kind of this whole. To be honest, that's almost a separate world. There there is this whole other KOL weird money making economy that actually gets kind of confused. I think a little bit with the rest of it. Hmm. And there is there is a whole economy around what you're describing is KOL management companies or teams yeah. that have young, pretty girls that do a range of talented and untalented acts on live streaming that try and get young or old men to give them tips. And they also use techniques where they bring in, they have other viewers that pay to start to try and activate um, these viewers to, to give money and create kind of like competitions and stuff. Right, um, right. And I kind of, to be honest, I don't really focus on that economy very much. I mean, it's so black and so off the norm of actually offering users value and a brand could ever tap into because a brand is never going to be able, for most brands, are never going to be able to tap into a a, a half-talented pretty girl that's trying to make money off tipping on a live streaming site. That's not going to, you cannot sell, you know, even tennis shoes to those guys likely and that's not what they're there for um that's a whole different like kol ish um community that i don't think we're really talking about when we're talking about this subject right right so it's like two that's more sort of gifting focused um, yeah. monetization whereas what 
Yeah, because it is confusing all the different, you know, this area has so many different overlapping terms. It has so many, like, it's moving so fast. There's so Correct. many platforms. Um, but there is actually, and, and, you know, two two quite separate things here, right? One is more Correct. sort of pretty girls, Wang Hong-ish um, for, for gifting. And then another one that's more sort of e-commerce driven, brand driven um, yes. for usually fashion and, and makeup and lifestyle area. Correct. Correct. And that's where I like, I think it's really good to define like, this is a separating point, because for KOLs that are in this whole gifting economy, to me, that's a whole, totally different realm. And what's interesting about Lauren that you're talking about before, and who's I've actually like consulted with and, and talked with, she was in that world, and is now trying to leave that world and get into becoming very not legit, but become a brand KOL that mm. is actually able to uh, leverage her own influence and have real influence and have something that brands can leverage and she can leverage in an e more of an e-commerce standpoint. Um, yeah. Because she realizes that for several reasons, that whole gifting economy, that's, in, in my mind, I think that's a flash in the pan. That's not what is going to um, bring people value for a long time. Not that paid content isn't something that's on the horizon or happening right now, but that that whole thing is is a little bit of an anomaly. Well, it's also it's also, you know, let's just let's just uh, call a spade a spade. I mean, it's 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 uh, manipulation in a sense. I mean, it's um, totally. it's similar to what you have in the West with with cam girls, except that in China, um, it's toned know, down. <laughs> yeah, well, and well, pornography is illegal. I mean, pretty much any mm. adult content um, is illegal, not necessarily to to possess it, but certainly to create and distribute it. Um, can come with very harsh penalties um, in, yep. in China. So, you know, you have these, um, as you say, like these uh, these live streaming farms, if if you will, that have these women, but but like they're they're there as young women attracting men to 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 pay them for having this type of type of show. Um, and so so yeah, I mean, I completely agree, and I think that that it's very very different from from what a brand. Uh, might want and certainly what a brand is 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 going to do because there's there's basically no connection almost between these these, these two types of of live streaming. Um, but Matt just mentioned something that that I want to focus on a little bit more now is um, you know that connection to e-commerce. You know because mm. I was just thinking you know it's taking off in China live streaming and uh, and KOLs it's really taking off in China, but it hasn't really done so much in other parts of the country. And, and, and it seems to me that a lot of it is because of that direct connection with e-commerce. Mm -hmm. You know, like Taobao, yep. they're, I mean, they're, they're a bit of a, a late player to the game, but now that they're in it, I mean, they're, they're pretty oh, much man. dominating. They're powerhouse. Totally, totally. Well, you know, this is interesting to me, and I, and I think you meant it hasn't taken off in the rest of the world, not in the rest of the country, yeah. correct? Uh, yeah. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's really interesting is one of the guys that I really love and... I, I do see him as, you know, as an order and such is, is, uh, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk in the U S and he's really, really big on, on attention and understanding where it's at. And he really believes and leverages and talks about the influencer marketing world and what's happening in business and what's happening in commerce and such. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons I like him so much too, is because in, in the rest of the world, he's seen as a visionary. In China, he's just talking about what's going on. 
And I really think that China is so far advanced when it comes to payments and commerce and applications like WeChat and Weibo, where you can go directly from content to a purchase environment to live streaming on Taobao, where the product that's being talked about, you just have to click to buy. Like this is, we are living in the future. This is what the rest of the world is going to do. I mean, if you want to create a successful business in the States right now, you would take what's happening in China and you would just do it over there. I, I totally, absolutely believe that because that's what the guys over there are saying. This is going to happen. It's going to be really cool. And, and I'm just like, it's already happening. It already is really cool. And it works. And we know that because the biggest e-commerce stores in China, the biggest e-commerce stores in China are run by KOLs. And it's working so well where the Amazon of China, the Taobao, is now creating its own influencer incubator that it's investing into to ramp up its own thing. They know that this whole having entertainment and education wrapped up in content in a show environment is what is working. It's what's driving sales. It's what's getting people excited and getting them to click and buy right now. And and this is how people, this is what people want to watch and what they want to do. And it's a new level of consumerism that the rest of the world is very maybe unaccustomed to or not comfortable with or, you know, thinks is is maybe going to happen or just totally unfamiliar. But it's it's happening. It's totally happening right now. And it's not like, oh, this this thing might it's it's working. So so yeah so so you know talking a lot about how China really is ahead and how um you know that that this at some point we are going to see something similar uh in the rest of the world but you know uh, how far off do you think it might be and 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 you know what is it about like are there any like special Chinese characteristics that that aren't necessarily going to translate very well yeah, you know, I, I don't know about all of that. I, I do know that, and, you know, I think, Matt, you're more of an expert on this than I am, that um, Facebook is trying to copy a lot of the things that are in WeChat, um, mm-hmm. that closed ecosystem kind of stuff and, and payments and, and how people interact on social much, uh, much differently. Um, and so I think we'll see, I think the technology is changing already in the West, you know, from the Snapchat is also more of a closed environment um, that's invite only through a QR code or their own style QR code stuff, um, less of an open platform. Um, I think what is not happening yet and which is almost bizarre, and I think a lot of it also has to do with probably uh, finance laws and, and banking and stuff like that, but is the payments their payment system and how they're doing stuff is just way, way behind the curve. Um, not having that embedded and working well with social is is almost crazy to me. And then the e-commerce part, they just have not figured this out. I remember like five years ago when, when Facebook got really, really excited because they were like, oh, look, you can now do a Facebook ad. And when you click on it, then you can click to purchase through an ad. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And it's like they haven't gone anywhere beyond that. They have not gone anywhere beyond a banner ad of a watch or something like that. And you can do some retargeting and such, but um, based on on similar audiences or friends and such. But it's it's just way, way behind the curve. And it's going to take, you know, if Amazon really wanted to do something big, they'd, they'd be following what Taobao's doing. 
And if Facebook wanted to do something big, they'd be following what WeChat's doing. And I think that um, China really is setting themselves or has already set themselves as a leader in those areas. And when it transfers over, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's funny because the live streaming kind of stuff kind of was popular, you know, got some buzz in the West, but it didn't take off. And I, a lot of that might have to do with, um, you know, the differences in culture and also the differences in access to, you know, qualities of content or types of content. You know, one of the things that I talk about sometimes is like one of the reasons that KOLs and the content and, and videos and stuff that they create in this live streaming took off is because the government standard controlled TV is so freaking boring. It's mm, so bad. It's really bad. And the movies, <laughs> it, yeah, and the movies are bad. And the entertainment that you can gain through what the high level producers are making in China is so bad. And so, of course, when someone makes something that's targeted and interesting and they're an interesting personality and then they create that in some short form that I can consume much better on a small screen on, you know, my packed subway ride to, to, to work, like that makes a lot of sense why this took off here. And when in the West you are competing with um, standards of of content that are very, very high. And some of the brands are really, really figuring it out. The SNLs of the world and the, the, uh, the, some of the different TV shows kind of stuff, they're figuring out how to short form their content and deliver that in ways that audiences can consume and such. So there's a little bit of balance there of like the West has the ability to, is adapting um, some of the great stuff they already have where in some ways, China never had the great stuff. <laughs> so, like, it was really easy for um, people to break into the entertainment market and the attention market because the the audiences were so starved. Yeah, I think that I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, one of the big things, like, you know, my wife and I, we 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 talk about moving back to the states, and um, the the my my biggest impression, like, the biggest sense that I get of of moving back to the states would just be for better or for worse, how how slower things are there, mm. Um, mm. and 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 especially compared compared to China. Because I'm thinking about you know if we look at the the people that would want to get into live streaming, you know it's it's basically Facebook, Google, uh, and Amazon probably. Um, but it's it's one of those things. It's it feels like because they're basically only competing amongst those three, that they're not going to be moving as quickly. Whereas you look at Taobao, for example, and and also uh, Weibo is a good example as well. Where, you know, when they first when they first got started and, and KOLs uh, and influencers really started to populate, you know, they they found that there were you know third party KOL um, agencies that kind of took over the platform in a way, and that Weibo mm. was not able to monetize off that because they did not um, take the initial effort to to control that ecosystem from from the beginning. Whereas yep. uh, whereas with live streaming, it seems that they've learned from their mistake, and now you know with their with their um, you know with with being uh, closely tied to to Alibaba, you know having having that that synergy with the live streaming and e-commerce. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, but also, you know, part of it it feels like, you know, these big Chinese companies they have to 
integrate these features and these things be, uh, as quickly as possible because if they don't someone else is going to do it and it may not be another big player it could be a small player that just scales rapidly you know with with mm. backing from a, maybe from a from a bigger player or some um, some well connected VCs um, and just kind of really disrupts disrupts that space and so you know with Taobao going into live streaming um, going into the KOL um, uh, economy a lot of it is in a sense defensive you know they're doing it because if they didn't do it, they would be disrupted on on that front. Totally, totally. And I mean, I've and that was you know we've worked with different apps that have launched and stuff like that. Like there's a Yes app that was totally just live streaming to e-commerce and correct. I mean, and that's one of the hard parts in China is that like if you're and actually Facebook's starting to play this game too, but if you're small, like it's really really tough because the big guys will adapt really fast. And they'll mm. try and block you as well as they can from mm. their audience being able to ever interact with your platform or your content or what you're doing. And you know that's what's so interesting right now about what Facebook's doing with Instagram, totally on the assault with Snapchat. And I think that's a huge risk. Is that hey, you know, we have the users, so we'll just duplicate what you're doing, and there's no reason for them to leave our ecosystem to go to yours because it's the same thing. Yeah, I think it's quite brutal what they're doing with Snapchat recently. Oh, dude, um, it's uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, quite, quite, quite shameless and quite, um, yeah, you know, but a, a very solid strategy. Um, mm. But you know, very, very um, question. You know, it's hard to say. It's definitely questionable because uh, in the internet space, everyone copies each other, right? So, yeah. Um, I guess shame. the core question is: is is stories, you know, a big enough? innovation to be considered something that should be uh, you should be able to patent you know yeah yeah that's that's a big question i mean that's a big question is it just like an incremental uh thing or is it some actually a game changer that you should have been able to uh, legally protect themselves from from stuff like this happening sure i mean i i don't know that's like i talk to lots of people about especially when it comes to like content and stuff good luck with protecting yourself you just need to be you just need to be fast <laughs> yeah and like you just need to be the first one and just you know kind of a kind of a prayer kind of thing because it's uh that's uh, that's tough that's tough and I, I do think what you know not to get too far off topic but I think what Facebook's doing is very shameless but it's pretty freaking smart yeah exactly exactly it's 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 almost uh, it's almost Chinese of them isn't it yeah exactly. Um, but but so 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 looking look look looking forward you know the next maybe one two three five years or so I mean like how do you think you know this this uh, technology and this this ecosystem you know of of mm. influencers and e-commerce and and live streaming I mean how is it going to change um, how is it going to evolve <clears throat> Well, <clears throat> I think for uh, I'm 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 dead serious when I say that brands are either going to figure this out working with um, influencers or they're going to die. And what I mean, and that maybe that's only in specific categories, but I really do believe that they have to figure this thing out because if they don't, the KOLs will build the brands of the future. And so what I, what I've seen taking place, which is very interesting to me, and I've actually heard of this happening in the, in the U S too, is exclusive deals where they are, brands are essentially, you know, acquiring KOL brands and 
they are doing exclusivity deals and you have a big enough audience and I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars and you're going to produce X amount of content based around, you know, my brand or my concept. And, and that's going to be part of our marketing value. And we're going to repurpose the content you make for other things. And, and you're going to become a paid brand advocate. Um, I think that's <clears throat> a viable strategy that a lot of brands are, um, that some some innovative brands are considering or, or kind of testing right now. Um, I think that, like I said, I think KOLs are going to build some really, really mega brands in the future. I just think <clears throat> that they have an opportunity and these creatives who maybe aren't naturally adapt to business are going to hook up with businessmen and women and they're going to create something really big and powerful because they understand attention today. And I've already sat down, I have talked with some of these people and they realize that, and I've talked with brands that their entire strategy, entire strategy is based around KOLs and micro KOLs. And um, I think that that is a very, very viable uh, strategy for the future, um, especially in somewhere like China where you're seeing um, a shift from, you know, SEO to um, to SSO, the you know ser social search optimization, the idea that you're mm -hmm. going to start to be able to search within WeChat, and I think that's going to take over things like Baidu, um, and so brands will have to adapt new strate strategies for that, and I think KOL accounts are going to be the ones that get bumped to the top, um, and their content that they're creating because it's the most popular. And yep. so that just drives that whole economy from a technical standpoint that much further forward. Um, and so if brands want to compete or the brands of the future <laughs> are likely to be built on the backs of, of these content creators and of these people who have figured out how to offer value first and how to build niches and then how to build passion with people and actually capture their their hearts and their minds and, and later their wallets. Um, but <clears throat> I think from a technology standpoint, that's really tough to, to really figure out what's going to happen. I, I think in, in some ways, like WeChat is like such an amazing, amazing commerce and communication tool. But it's and in some ways, though, in my mind, it's almost becoming less and less like social it's almost becoming more like the internet it's it's an application that can do everything i can walk up and i can scan a bike and then, then i can go and pay for something and then i can um then i can chat with my boss and send a you know a, a file to an intern and then i can you know send a, a picture of where i'm at in the bar to my girlfriend and 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 that is social i guess i, I don't know but it's also like it's just the internet it's just how things are done <clears throat> where pure social entertainment value um, applications like what I see what Weibo is doing, um, where they are really, really giving content creators a huge amount of flexibility from live streaming and short stories and pictures and video and text. And, and it's really, really fun place to, and an open space to create and distribute you know, content and to consume that. And it's a really, really, it's, it's fun. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's growing is because 
once you've read, once you've opened up your blue file on, on WeChat and you read some of your articles that I think are way too many clicks to get to, um, you can go to Weibo where it's just open and you can see what's kind of trending and what's happening. Um, and it's not so closed. And then you have the Taobao's who they're getting smart. I mean, if Taobao is creating and literally creating an influencer, you know, uh, initiative, and what I think that really means is, especially for what I think is going to happen with um, live streaming is, it's it's the TV. It's the TV of the future. Mm. And to do that properly, you need to standardize the times that things play. You need to standardize what the content is playing at that time, who hosts the show, what, what content is being distributed and played. And Because people do, I mean, we're not just creatures of habit. I mean, we do want, like, I want to tune in to this thing. And if I want to tune into it, it can't just be random all the time. Like I want to see my favorite entertainer entertainer who talks about tennis shoes. And yeah, sometimes when he talks about those tennis shoes, I buy them, but that's, what's interesting to me. And so if I want to tune into that person, they need to have a regular, you know, you know, seven thirty um, show on Wednesday nights that I can, I can watch this person that I really like. And we're already seeing that take place. Um, I kind of mentioned it maybe before that, you know, uh, Millennium has her own show now, a beauty show on, on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. or 8 p.m. And she literally every week she gives the, the platform a brief and says, this is what I'm going to talk about this week. And uh, and they say, OK, and they kind of approve that and talk about it a little bit and how it can be a little bit better. And then she does the show and it goes for about they promote it for about an hour and then it, the show goes for about an hour and a half and and then it's off and it's every single week. And so her followers and, and the people that she gains can come and tune back in every week. And so I think there will be a standardization of that stuff because that's what needs to happen. It won't be just so random like, oh, I'm walking down the street. I'm going to start live streaming now and expect people to just come and start watching me and me offer them value. Um, that's that's not really going to work very well. Um, what you can do is you can record those shows and then you can display them so someone can consume that content later. But the fun part about live streaming is that it's live and you can interact with it and you can see what's happening in place, taking place and ask questions mm -hmm. and such. So most of this episode has been, um, you know, about like brands and established KOLs and kind of how they can, uh, get better. But what about the people who, you know, they they're thinking about becoming an influencer. They're mm. thinking about becoming mm. a, a KOL. Is there is there mm. any any advice that that you would you would give them? Oh, totally, totally. I, and I do a lot of this kind of stuff. But my first advice um, to anybody that wants to get into this industry and wants to serve an audience, um, or my the, my first key things are one. I believe that you actually need to be an expert. <laughs> you actually need to be talented at something. You need to be able to provide people value um the pretty faces and stuff that that will work for some period of time but unless you're not offering people value in a real way long term um there's only so many like kardashian girls that can take that space um so you need to you need to actually be able to offer value and then the the next thing that's very very important in my mind is going as niche as possible and that means to the point for me, you know, and we do this a lot in marketing where you name the person that you are going to focus on and who you're going to serve 
and you know how much money they make and where they went to school and what they spend their time doing and where they're, you know, um, getting their uh, social media or their entertainment from. And you get that person to fall in love with you and they won't go to anybody else. They will recommend you to anybody to, to know or to be entertained by your subject matter. And you get that person to love you. And then the really cool thing is there's actually lots of people that look like John or Jane and get those people to love you first and then let them tell other people about you and grow and grow and grow. And then you can maybe expand even your topic matter to serve a broader audience. But if you go broad, you'll fail. You've got to go small. That's, that's, that's actually super interesting, especially that, that last part. And so um, part of my interest is in, in management and leadership. And one of the most important things for like a new manager or a new leader in an organization is to find that first follower and then that mm. first follower will then, um, you know, basically evangelize your mm. your management and your leadership to to the other people in the organization that they have influence over. Um, and so, in, and so, in fact, as that as that leader, you know, your main your one of your main goals should be to find that first follower, find find that advocate um, in 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 your organization um, that that is going to really help you um, succeed whatever whatever your goals are and so it's really interesting because basically you know from your description what we're talking about then is um, kind of a natural kind of social uh, human social phenomenon where mm. you know you 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 find people who um, are interested in what you're doing who believe in you who who have formed that personal connection and then go out and they tell everyone else and that's that's how you you form you form your tribe, how you form your group. Totally, totally. Welcome to the age of the intimate CRM. Like you got to have real relationships with these people. They're not just a number with kind of a name and, and a, an account or a, a, a something else linked to it. Like this is a relationship. So you've got to go as niche as possible, get them mm. to fall in love with you, know your target. Anything else, Eli? Yeah, I mean, and then you gotta you gotta produce um, produce what you know you can produce well. <laughs> if you write well, write. If you are good on camera, get on camera. If you have a nice voice, then uh, then do audio. You know, you whatever you are gonna do, you're gonna do for a long freaking time, and you're probably not gonna be paid for it for a while. <laughs> so you better be. It better be something you enjoy and it better be something that you can do at scale, meaning that you're going to have to do this like every day. And um, so do something that you can actually, you know, that you're you're inclined to um, because that's it's it's a long game. It is. I think that's one of the hard parts for a brand, too, and why they didn't focus on it early and why they're missing out now is this whole influencer thing. It's a long game. It takes a while for someone to build trust with you and to love you. And it takes, and it's hard work to create right. content right. and, um, to do that day in and day out and send that message. And, and at first have nobody viewing it and nobody liking it. And then one yep. person hearts it yep. and then only one person hearts it for a month. And then two people like brands don't like that, but, but people who are passionate and love what they do and have the vision they can push through. You mentioned it took you and Maggie two. You've been doing it two years, right, to get to yep. where where you are yep. right now. Yep. And you only really started to crack it in year two. Yeah, yeah. And we've only, I think, we've only really hit stride in the last six months. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was eighteen months of just, of just, you know, just 
banging it out and and both of us are are talented in our own respects and but we weren't focused on um on what wasn't happening we we're focused on what was going to happen yeah and that's for two people who are like you know quite um well yourself uh, you know a marketing expert is still taking you all this time i haven't said that you the case study you just gave of the uh, of the baby milk the irish brand for, for mm, i mm. think it's baby milk formula those guys you're saying you know just like yeah know, there's of quickly. course there's, <laughs> yeah but i you know whenever i advise anybody on marketing i never ever say you know don't ever focus on the viral focus on the long game because that's not realistic um, it does happen, of course, and people get really excited and motivated by that, and that's what hits headlines. But it's not the slow grind of working, you know, 18-hour days because you had a full-time job and then you went home and live-streamed or shot a new video tutorial that's that's sexy and anybody really talks about. But that's the reality. So, Eli, um, as you know, again... Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, um, you know, giving us this, uh, incredible insight. I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, information in just, uh, this short period of time, um, that, that you've given us. But, um, so what about you? So, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, um, how can they do that? Where, where can they find you? Sure. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can, uh, there's not too many Elijah Whaley's. Maybe you have to spell it out or something, but there's not too many Elijah Whaley's in the world. So um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I, uh, I always like chatting with people on WeChat too. You can just do Elijah Whaley, it's all one word. Or um, you can send me an email. You can just email me at, I'm horrible with email actually, but you can email me at Elijah at parklu.com. Perfect. Perfect. And um, to our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, we would really appreciate it if you took a minute or two just to give us uh, a review on iTunes or if you're using uh, a different um, podcast player such as Over Overcast, you can just uh, tap on that star button and that uh, will uh, recommend this episode to uh, everyone else in that network. Uh, recommendations and reviews are a great way um, to show your support. So thank you very much.